Hello, hello, and welcome back to Retrieving Sanity. Today we have the one and only Luke, Luke Gallus. Gallus. Yes, sir. Nice to be here with y'all today. All right, Luke. Um, how old are you? I am turning twenty nine next month. Oh, the big two nine. Yep, twenty nine, man. Almost a thirty here. Twenties yeah. are winding down to nothing. <laughs> uh yeah once you hit 30 it gets uh like you i thought 23 and 24 was like oh i'm old no 30 like i felt it the next day <laughs> anyways um you are not from the dallas area correct nope definitely not i grew up in uh brenham texas and then i moved to Bryan college station Okay. Uh, for my teenage years, high school and stuff. Um, but for my early adult life, I've lived in South Texas, uh, anywhere between San Antonio and Austin, you know, up and down I-35. That was my stomping grounds right there. Ooh. Yes, sir. So my first time in the DFW area, definitely liking it here. A little bit less humidity, but still good Texas atmosphere for sure. That's good. Uh. So you've kind of been all over Texas, uh, or just more the southern-ish, southern Well, I was in West Texas for a little while, but not for very long. So yeah, I've been making my way around Texas. So you know what always threw me off is that Amarillo is north Texas, Mm -hmm. and that's where I'm from, but apparently it's actually West Texas, which doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because, like, Dallas is considered north. north. Yeah, exactly. But yet, Amarillo is way farther up in the panhandle, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah, from here to Amarillo is about six and a half, seven hour drive. So, yeah. Or if you take a plane, it's like 45 minutes. Weird. But, um, let's see. And, uh, so you're in the Oxford house, uh, So, what was your DOC, if I may ask? Yeah, of course. So, me, uh, what finally brought me into recovery um, and caused me to actually have to go to rehab and everything uh, was methamphetamines. Uh, I'm an ice user, you know, like to roll the bowl, man. You know, it wasn't always like that, you know. I started off just smoking weed, taking a few Adderall here and there, uh, you know, all the psychedelics and stuff, but when I hit that bowl, man, for the first time, shit, it, it was a wild ride, man. It was a five-year ride of my life right there. I was pretty darn solid. You know, I'd always played around with drugs ever since I was 15 and everything, um, but I was always able to kind of keep my cool with it and that and all, but with meth, I just got progressively worse, you know? Started off fun, but mm-hmm. eventually, you know, that monster got me. You know, I thought I could control it, but unfortunately, I enjoyed it too much. You know, it was taking a place in my life it was never meant to take. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I know you'd said you liked it too much, and whenever I was going through, me and my, uh, some of the guys and I were talking, and I was like, man. My ex-wife, she was like, you didn't love me enough. And I was like, 
but I did. And he was like, no, you like the, you love the alcohol a little bit more. And I was like, nah. But after some searching around, I was like, yeah, that sucks. Uh, mm -hmm. So and it's weird how it goes from like pleasure and like that little bit of a rush. And then it suddenly goes way south. And for me, it was like just taking part in it was like surviving. So it got tedious and like exhausting. Did it get like, would you say that it, in the end it lost all of its glamour? Or did you sit there and like kind of want to do more? Or did you really see like the light at the end of the tunnel and you just ran full speed <laughs> that's a hard question to answer right there man to be honest with you even to this day you know i still have thoughts of damn that was fun for a while there you know mm -hmm. <clears throat> but like i said I, it got to a point it was taking a place in my life it was never meant to take you know when i say it was too fun i mean there's using and it it was a good time, and then there's using, and it was it felt like it was filling something that it was completing me, you know, like I've always been an introverted person, I've always been a quiet person, I don't talk much mm -hmm. except when I feel like there's something that needs to be said, you know, I'm very easy going and lackadaisy about stuff, but when I was on meth, man, it opened up a whole new vista um it completely changed, you know. Mm -hmm. I was I became a, a person that I thought I wanted to be. Uh, and unfortunately, in order to maintain that facade, I had to keep using. Mm -hmm. And as I kept using and the more I relied on the drug to try to create myself in something I thought I wanted to be, mm -hmm. uh, the more it took from me, the more it degraded who I was as a person uh, to where I was crossing boundaries I was I would never have crossed before. Uh, to the point where I was convincing myself, you know, of just insanity, just insanity. Like, it'll be all right this time. It'll be all right to keep going on, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. this, yeah, I did this, but, you know, always the buts, always the buts was the thing, man. And that's what we talk about with the mental twist, you know, when we really get into this, mm -hmm. in the spiritual malady is how, our own minds become our worst enemies once we reach our drug of choice and we are caught in its grip. Yep. And that was one thing that I found kind of weird is that, like you, the alcohol made me feel like I was someone else because it would slow me down. It would kind of put me in a spot where I felt normal, if that makes sense, if there is such a thing as normal. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think you described it perfect that it, because you said facade. So to keep the facade, you had to keep using and then feeling great, unfortunately. But it's kind of a self-defeating cycle. Well, kind of in the end, right? Oh, yeah, it's always self-defeating. Because it's like in the book it says, you know, when we... It's that elusive feeling. We can't quite put a name on it or describe it, you know? Yep. But in our minds, it's always described as pleasurable, as 
that's what it seemed like for the longest time for me. Uh, even when I was running relationships, you know, I still thought, you know what, I can handle this. I've got it, you know. Yeah. When I really yeah. didn't. Sorry to hear, it, man. And yeah, it's kind of weird because it seems like I don't know if it's our drug choice or if it's ourselves that keep telling us or a combination of it's going to be different or that was actually fun because I was told uh, to play the tape out all the way through and I've heard some guys they play the tape through and they say it sounds like a fun time but for me it was still pain uh but my brain does like to tell me well remember when it started like that was fun yeah exactly you know and that's one of the things that i've come to learn now it's one of the reasons why i'm so grateful that i stay uh i stay ingrained in the in the program on a day-to-day basis especially with the opportunities that i get to work with the new guys mm-hmm. so i stay very connected with the uh rehab center that i came out of and going back there and giving back you know reminds me on a constant day-to-day basis of what my mindset was like on day one because it's so easy to slip back into that into that point where that mental twist can catch me and snare me in its trap because you know i I dabbled with a lot of drugs. I know you brought up the point about whether or not it's our drug of choice or it's the combination of our personality and all of these other factors, you know. Mm -hmm. I dabbled with a lot of drugs. You know, I started smoking weed when I was 15. Um, I was going over to friends' houses. I was going to college parties, you know, living in Bryan College Station. You know, there was nothing else to do, you know. You're either running around doing the wrong (laughs) thing or – you know, you had to be clicked up in school, you know, it, mm-hmm. and that wasn't me. I was socially awkward, and the uh, drug scene was where I felt most at home because it didn't matter who I was. It just mattered how I behaved and what I was into into doing, you know. But I I dabbled with many different drugs, you know. I started smoking weed at 15, started drinking, you know. And then whenever I graduated high school, you know, I went on a long run with uh, Molly and LSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other different types of psychedelics, mushrooms, um, some stuff, uh, 2CB, a few things I don't even re- quite remember what the heck we were doing. I'm pretty sure we didn't even know either. We were just, yeah, we were just trying what was available, you know. Mm-hmm. The person sold it to us, and they were having a good time on it. We were okay with it. We'd give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was an interesting thing because with those drugs, you know, I could do them. And then I could leave them alone. It wasn't a nagging, I have to have this to change me. I didn't have to have the Molly to be somebody who I thought I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever those supplies ran out, I was fine. I was perfect, even with the Adderall and the Ritalin. Because my first experience with amphetamine was with Adderall, you know, and methylphalidate, which is Ritalin. Mm-hmm. But with those things, you know, I could leave them be. They were fun. They were enjoyable. But I didn't have to have them all the time. You know? Yeah. But it was crazy. Once I tried methamphetamine, it was 
it was more intense than the first time I tried weed. It was when I first tried weed, I was like, dang, this is my new best friend right here, you know? <laughs> this makes me feel good, and this makes life seem, you know? Worth it. Yeah, it, not even just worth it. It just opened up that spiritual side. Like, it almost uh, felt like there's something more to everything than what just meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, if you ever dabble in psychedelics, that's all we are ever chasing is that elusive idea that there's something behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, that we can't quite perceive. And with methamphetamine, you know, I had a more stronger feeling than I ever did with anything else. I was like, dang, this is this is my new best friend. And boy, did I did I go on a run with it, you know. Um, for a long while, you know, I managed to hold shit together. But like I said, the more I depended on it to change who I was, the more it took from me of who I really was. Mm. That's well put. Uh, And you actually hit on something I was going to ask about. Because it seems like in our teenage years, or some of us, we start to fall into trying things. And then, uh, like you, I could do cocaine. I could go do basically anything else. And like you, I could take it, set it aside. And I was fine. I didn't sit there and obsessive over it. Uh, it would just be, hey, I got it. Cool. And then once it was out or outside out of mind, I was good. So for you, it was literally just the first time with the methamphetamine that you went, okay, yeah, that. That is, is what I want. That yeah. is how I want to feel on a regular basis, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how it started with my usage is I started off just trying to use a little bit at a time to maintain this elusive feeling, Mm. you know? And, of course, that little bit over time, you know, it didn't start off right away. It grew gradually over a course of a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Did my usage become start to grow into an out-of-control thing? But like I said, the more I tried to use it for what it was never meant to be for, Mm -hmm. the more it took. Um. It's a wild ride, man. It really is. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like one. And uh, I got a question on the, was it, well, you said it's a facade to keep feeling or thinking you're being who or how you want to be, correct? Mm-hmm. So in recovering, have you kind of uh, found a way to be that person and so it's easier to kind of like keep it out of your sight out of your mind kind of thing like do you feel that you've actually evolved into that person you wanted to be and do you think that you actually got something good out of it all so that's an interesting question you posed there. So, in short, no, I haven't evolved into the person, but I am evolving. So it's kind of interesting. One of the things when I was working my four step and I started realizing all my insecurities, all the things that I was trying to fix uh, using my drug of choice, you know, using meth, mm-hmm. the more I began to realize that these are things I was going to need help 
you know, from my higher power in order to conquer. Um, and so I set forth on making a, on doing things that didn't make me comfortable, you know. Um, public speaking um, before was an impossibility for me, you know. Okay. On methamphetamine, I could speak in, I could speak all day long about nonsense, you know. That was one. That was a drawback, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you want to use this to be able to to talk in front of people and have confidence. Great, I'll give you that. But you're going to talk about nonsense. Yeah. Is what you're going to do. Is what it ended up coming down to. So, after coming to a realization of why I was using it and what I was using it for, um, really delving into that fourth step, I set on to try and put myself into situations that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You know, now I lead classes over there at the ARC. I'm able to stand in front of large groups of people and actually speak in front of them um, by doing this. You know, and I know it's all due to my higher powers uh, giving me the strength to try to overcome this, overcome these boundaries that I set for myself because that was mm -hmm. the truth of it. You know, those boundaries never really existed. I set them in my place and I said I needed this to overcome my own imaginary boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, and now that I see them for what they are, not as boundaries, but insecurities. You know, my own selfish self getting in the way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to try and conquer them. Now, it's not an easy process. I'm not perfect. That is a trial and error. But by working and recognizing that my fear, my own selfish desire to be afraid of taking those steps is only just a path to leading back to my insanity. Mm. You know? So... To either grow or go back. There is no in between about it. That's good. I really like that outlook. And you make some good points. Like, you are uncomfortable doing some things, but you don't let it stop you. Yeah. You realize that that's kind of where you need to grow. And it's kind of sounds like me. Whenever you're uncomfortable, you're finding out that you're too big for your cage, if you will. So kind of like how a fish will grow, depending on, uh, like, it. did you know goldfish can actually get really big? Mm -hmm. Based on the environment that they're put in. Exactly. Yeah. And the environment that we put ourselves in is going to reflect the amount of growth and the kind of growth. You put yourself into a negative environment with limit with uh, limitations, you're not going to get very much growth, and the growth you do get is not going to be good growth. But you put yourself in a healthy environment with a plenty of space to try and find a, a healthy way to to expand. You know, mm -hmm. we all need some level of limitation so we don't, you know, overstep on other people's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, disrespect anybody in some way. But at the same time, uh, those those obstacles just provide learning opportunities for us, and that's one of the things I've kind of learned. You know, um, I'm accept I've come to a point where I'm accepting myself for my flaws and for who I am, mm -hmm. and with that acceptance of that, now I can see the path that I can try to go down in order to get the growth that I want to see. Dang. Well. 
uh, I do gotta say, remember, you're young. Like, we're both young. I think one of the pitfalls that catch a lot of people, uh, especially with, like, addiction, uh, would be the fact that, because for myself, at least, I know whenever I was 18, I was like, I'm an adult. I can do adult things. I know, like, I am smart. I can go do this and this and this and this. Now that I'm 30, like, I look back at being 21, 18, 23, 24, and I was like, damn, I was still a baby. Like, mm-hmm. I think for, for me, I was pushed to be, like, who I was supposed to be at the end of my life in such a short amount of time. And that's, I think, one of the factors that kind of created that hole that I was seeking uh, to fill with alcohol. And it just made me feel like you were saying, the person I wanted to be, uh, more of a persona of, like, you have your persona of who you were, and then you have your actual personality, yourself, as you are, but in sober uh, time. And you are working with guys, not only just in, like, your actual work environment, but you're a sponsor, correct? Yes. And so, do you see a lot of you in some of the guys you sponsor? Yes, all the time. (laughs) It's one of the biggest reasons why it's so important to sponsor is because you learn more about yourself by hearing the stories of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like they say, um, every if you look at somebody long enough, you're just gonna see a reflection of you mm. within them. You know, they may seem different on the outside, but we all have similar qualities, similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look hard enough, you can see, you know that spiritual aspect of life where we are all the same, we're all brothers. And, you know, you learn a lot about yourself hearing other people's stories, learning about their trials, their tribulations, their struggles, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But to go back a little bit, you know, it's one of the things, uh, when I talk about growth and stuff, you know, in my recovery, um, now that I can see that there's an opportunity for growth, without having to use, you know, drugs or a chemical substitute to achieve it, uh, I can actually see, I have more faith in it. I can be patient with my growth now because I can see the stability of it. Mm. It's not temporary or fleeting. It's not going to be here today and gone tomorrow just Mm -hmm. because of one factor or another. It's actually uh, got a foundation, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So... Would you equate uh, being sober or uh, going along your path of recovering as kind of entirely restarting who you were? Or do you think you had like some cornerstones in place and you used those to build your new foundation for who or what you wanted to be? And you're 
kind of you're open to growth as in you don't have a finite like limitation on yourself um is that making sense mm-hmm. okay yeah. um so to be honest with you there's parts and pieces you know there's things about myself that aren't you know the person who i am you know that doesn't change uh, but the aspects the uh the behaviors you know uh the maturity those things change you know um like i said once i kind of got once i sobered up and started working the program you know i came to an acceptance of who i am mm-hmm. so in a lot of ways you know i was able to start off from the from who i was before the drugs uh. with a more accepting nature of who i am who I was naturally meant to be, you gotcha. know, and grow from there. I like that. That was a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, someone said, I heard, uh, it actually was really what you would said, uh, but they had equated it to they're still a hatchling and they're trying to jump out of the nest. And that was addiction. And then they just sat in the nest. And then it was uncomfortable. But whenever it was time for them to go, they were big and too big for the nest. So they have to go. And then someone else said, yeah, but I'm the bird with the damn broken wings. (laughs) And so he said he had a physical disability that kept him in his addiction stage. And then I saw this big old debate open up about, no, your physical standpoint is not what keeps you in this uh, addictive stage. Like you said, it's your personal, it's your spiritual growth that allows you to escape your physical uh, boundaries limitations uh yeah so one of the things i love the most i whenever you get me talking about the program and stuff is step three you know mm-hmm. i made that decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of god as i understood him mm-hmm. um that has always been such a powerful step for me um in overcoming all of this stuff because once I made that decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understood him, um, these thoughts of mine, you know, what, oh, I've got this limitation, I've got this boundary, you know, I don't think I can do this, or I can give this up because, you know, of such and such, such and such, it no longer matters, because like it says in step three, I have a new employer who mm-hmm. being all-powerful you know, take care of everything I need as long as I stick to this program and I do his work well. And ever since I took that to heart and I quit thinking about myself and started thinking about how I can be of service, you know, finishing out these steps so that I can improve as a person Mm -hmm. so that not just for me, but just so I can go from being a drag on society but to being a functional benefit to those around me, to my community, to the people I come in contact with, 
because uh, before I was clearly, you know, just a detriment to those in my life and anybody who I came around. Mm-hmm. I was the lunatic running down the street that they were like, hey, why the hell isn't he locked up, guys? <laughs> He's causing a nuisance here, you know? Mm-hmm. My poor family and stuff, you know, the things they had to go through, you know, worrying all night. Um, but yeah, so since I turned my will and my life over to the care of God, it doesn't matter what I think I can or can't do, you know? Mm-hmm. All that matters is I try to improve. And then ever since I've tried to improve, you know, following these steps and being of service to people, those acts of service have inadvertently turned around and improving the things that I thought I never could do on my own. Like I said, I went from not being able to talk to anybody, uh, being completely uh, um, socially awkward, to making great leaps and bounds of overcoming this mm-hmm. um, without even without really even focusing on it headlong. You know, inadvertently, I was presented with situations uh, where I had to step up and get over my fears, not because I said, I want to do this for my benefit, but because I need to do this to be of service. You know, gotcha. uh, the first time I was asked to lead a lead a Bible study class, I was like, dude, you, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> I, I, I know nothing here, dude. I'm I'm a complete idiot. Like, what? Twenty people in this class, and I'm supposed to, you know, sit up here and keep them entertained, keep them, keep their attention, and have them leave here with a positive message. You got me, you got me fucked up, bro. Like, you got me fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) But, like my sponsor said, he said, when an opportunity comes to be of service. Mm-hmm. You take it whether you think you're ready for it or not, you know, because you don't learn you don't learn what you need to know and then do it. You learn how to do it by doing what you doing need to do. it, <laughs> by taking that chance, that leap of faith, you know. Yep. So yeah. So uh you said by being in service to others, uh I know step twelve uh, I've heard broke down is we keep what we got by giving it away and or by teaching it. Um, and so it's funny that not only do you like work at the place to help get you clean, you are uh, leading Bible classes, you're sponsoring the other guys. And so you're not just helping the uh society by working you're helping the families and the individual like you're helping build up society to where you need to be you're being that person that goes hey there's a crack in the wall let me go repair it or at least doing your best and I think that's kind of what we're called to do, if that makes sense. Uh, we're supposed to be helping people out this whole time. And somehow, we got it in our own way. Yeah. 
Well, so on that note there, you know, I don't ever think of it as grandly as that, you know. I would I'd be a fool to let my ego get a hold of that little tidbit there and like run wild on me, you know. <laughs> but um personally I believe that we as human beings we are people that have to be of service to people in order to have that fulfilling life. Like I said, uh, when I was using drugs before and I began my journey with drugs, I was chasing this elusive uh, spiritual experience mm -hmm. um, that there's got to be something behind the curtain that I can't see. You know, if you ever listen to Terrence McKenna, he describes it a lot when he talks about his uh, his experiences with mushrooms and psychedelics and stuff. Huh. Um, but we're all chasing that spiritual experience, whether it's through drugs, through our job, uh, through the people that we associate with, you know, love interests, you mm -hmm. know, uh, thrill seeking. We all chase that spiritual experience in life. But one of the things that I believe that really brings it out is being of service to one another. You know, I think humans, as humans, we are called to be of service to each other because that's the only way we can get out of our selfish minds. If we're stuck in our selfish minds, you know, nothing, no matter what we get or what we gain, will ever be enough. Mm -hmm. But by being of service to people and seeing the growth in our fellow man and our fellow human being, there's a beauty that money can't buy nothing no experience can replace mm -hmm. you know just being in overjoyed for another person's well-being you know and it just makes all the things that we do have makes you so much more grateful what for what you do have you know mm -hmm. it makes the fruit so much sweeter you know oh yeah as i would say you know yes sir yeah. uh current lewis at the Maya. One of his favorite sayings is, a grateful addict will never relapse. Amen. I thought that, at first I was like, nah, that's hogwash. And then I got to thinking about it, and I was like, well, how grateful was I actually yeah. whenever I was in my shit? Exactly, you know. When I first came into the rehab, you know, uh, one of my, one of the resident managers there, he always used to talk about being happy, joyous, and free. And I was like, what are you smoking <laughs> behind the behind the building, bro? Uh-huh. Like, there ain't no way, dude. Yep. Happy, joyous, and free, bro? Like, mm -hmm. you're kidding me, right? I'm just hoping to get my life together. I don't even expect to be happy with it. I just want to be like, be able to hold my head up and say, all right. At least I ain't screwing shit up. I never expected to be happy, joyous, and free, you know? <laughs> But it is true, mm -hmm. you know, and it's only something that you can come to realize by putting in the work and actually doing it. You know, mm -hmm. I can try to describe to you what happy, joyous, and free feels like, but you won't know it until you experience it. You can't experience it until you start on the process of working the steps, getting close to God again, mm -hmm. and then trying to give that back to somebody else, you know. Very good. And, yeah, uh, what is that guy smoking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the guy, some of the new guys at the rehab center, when they see me, think the same darn thing. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it it is one of those things that I think. Uh, well, not to put it in a bad way, but uh, like Facebook, it has made people focus on the highlights and not the stuff in between that even makes the highlight an actual highlight and so i think we i know i myself i was like 14 15 looking at facebook and i was like oh look these guys are having so much fun and they're doing this and then after high school it was like oh well this person has their shit together this person has their shit together and then i was like well i don't got my shit together what the fuck am i doing wrong and then slowly as i got my head out of my ass i was like oh no one has their shit together uh, we're just good at like acting it out sometimes yeah. and then the ones that are actually happy they're okay to admit that yeah, i don't know what the fuck's going on but i'm having fun yeah so, exactly and what, another thing is too is you know what what works for somebody else's life isn't going to work for your life. Bing, bing, bing. And we got to get out of this mentality of we're not we're not cardboard cutouts, guys. We're not. Um, have you ever seen those subdivisions where they pop them up overnight and every house looks the same? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how this works for us humans. We're all different, you know. Yes, sir. And one of the things is is you know, despite all the stuff that's gone on in my life and the things I've done, you know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't change it at this point, you know, mm-hmm. being where I'm at now, understanding, because if I was to change my life and be somebody completely different, everything else that's going on in the world would still be the same. There would still be other addicts out there that need help, mm-hmm. you know, and I just wouldn't be in the position I am to help them anymore, you know, so I'm grateful for where I'm at. It's one of the things that keeps me going through all of this is remembering that, you know what? I get an opportunity to be a part of something that is completely unique uh, to us as addicts, you know? Yes, sir. We as addicts, you know, we get to experience a whole new, a whole different um, tempo of life than everybody else, you know? And instead of wailing over the fact that we're not normies, we need to <laughs> – that's what they say, you know. Uh, those people that can drink and use moderately, we may not be normies, you know, but we don't need to be, man. If There is an enjoyment that can come from the pain that we've gone through, the yes, pain sir. that we've caused, you know. Yep. And it's another reinforcing fact is remembering all the stuff that has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Just gives me more reason, you know, because there's nothing I can do to change what I've done, and there's nothing I can do to fix the things that I, a lot of things that I've done. Mm-hmm. But I can go forward and not do those things again, and you know, hopefully make somebody else's life a little bit better. You know. Yes, sir. I'm in agreement with you, because yeah, I wouldn't change a damn thing. All the pain, all the suffering, whether it be my own. I kind of wish I could minimize the pain and suffering of the people that I had harmed inadvertently. But 
that'd be the only thing I would change. And all this stuff I went through, there was a reason for it, or at least there is now. Mm-hmm. And that's what's beautiful. And I remember someone was telling me, uh, you're a thief. And I was like, well, no, I've never stolen anything on purpose. And they were like, well, what about the joy, peace, and happiness that you're stealing from your family while you're in addiction? And I was like, hey, is stealing a, a feeling making me a thief? And he was like, well, were they at peace? I was like, probably not. He said, you're a thief. I was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you actually answered my next question. Actually, two. Uh, so, last one I really got. Uh, advice to addicts or the family of addicts. Uh, just like uh, one day at a time. I mean... For me, it's sometimes just an hour at a time, but it's a day-by-day thing. What would you say for someone else that's struggling or maybe about to take that final step into full-blown addiction, and they don't even know it yet? That's a hard one right there, I must say, you know. For everybody who knows that they're an addict and knows that they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, mm-hmm. take the plunge, go for it, dive into this thing, man. You ain't got nothing to lose and everything to gain. For the person that doesn't know that they're an addict and they're about to take that plunge, well, I'll see you on the other side, buddy. Because there's nothing that anybody could have told me that would have that would have changed my mind before I became an addict. I was already set on that path, and that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried their darndest in school to tell me drugs are bad. Then I found out they lied about weed. Yeah, and then it was just all hands off, all cards off the table. You know, I've never been offered free drugs. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> I don't know what that's about at all either. You know. You know, if anything, you know, they could be a little bit more honest about drugs and what they actually do. Yes, sir. Because it isn't the whole, it isn't always the horror story that they paint. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, yeah. The horror story is living through it. Horror story is living through it, yeah. And what can I say, man? Like I said, you know, if you're going to, if you're destined to become an addict, you're going to be there. But that's another call for us who are in recovery to be ready and willing to help these people that are going to be just like us. That's what we're called to do, you know. We were these people, and we're the only ones who can understand what they've been through and what they're going through. Yes, sir. And Again, that's why this is called Retrieving Sanity. And so you are a sanity giver? Retriever? I don't know. We'll come up with a good term. I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's up in the air. I can't yeah. juggle very well. So <laughs> hopefully you can catch. Um, But this has been a great interview. And uh, we'll make sure that 
two camera angles get used because again this is a learning process it grows with me so uh i can't thank you enough and i didn't tell nico this but the people i interview i plan on interviewing more than once more than twice and about different things and just see where it goes so. all right well i'll be glad to come back and thank you for your time yes sir thank you very much and you have a good uh well to the audience have a good rest of the morning afternoon evening night any in-betweens and any befores and afters so thank you for joining us at retrieving sanity and the one and only Luke Gallus. <laughs>